Hello, HCI learners. Welcome to another episode of Nine to Thrive HR, a podcast for the most pressing issues facing talent management today. A podcast that allows you to hear from experts and practitioners in the field. I'm Holly Pennebaker, HCI's Digital Content Program Manager and your host for today. If you're listening on iTunes, be sure to give us a rating. It helps other talent-minded people discover the program. For today's podcast, I'm joined by Jody Detchen, who's founder and managing partner of Orange Grove Consulting and also clinical professor of management at Suffolk University, Boston, Massachusetts, and the academic MBA program director. You might remember Jody from last month's webcast called Overcoming Unseen Obstacles, How to Get More Women into Leadership Positions. Jody's an accomplished organizational development consultant and educator. Her mission is to realize gender parity as soon as we can. Jody has been teaching for 15 years and has consultant and run workshops for clients that include Accenture, Microsoft Partners, Dimension Data, and Oracle. She is a highly regarded speaker and writer for organizations that include Society of Women Engineers, American Banker, Lean In, and Duke University. Jody has designed a women's leadership training for Skillsoft and Linkage, and is co-author of the book, The Orange Line, a women's guide to integrating career, family, and life. Welcome, Jody. Hi, Holly. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So employee engagement is a focal area for HCI in 2017. In today's podcast, Jody will cover how getting more women into leadership positions can make a significant difference to the bottom line. Most companies have a lot of capable women who are simply not making it into leadership roles, and organizations aren't realizing the full potential of their female workforces. Jody, could you elaborate a little bit? Yeah, it's interesting. The data keeps coming in. I just saw another statistic yesterday talking about when you develop your women leaders, you can realize a 17% ROI, which is it it's adds to all the different numbers that we have that the more women you have in leadership, the better the financial bottom line. But the reality is it's not so simple. And I'll talk a little bit about that in today's podcast. It's not so simple for organizations to translate that number. Like, how do we actually get to that number? It's, it's not so simple. And I think what ends up happening is, is that at the entry level for most industries, women are about at parity at about 50%, give or take a couple percentage points. But then as soon as you hit that first rung of management, starts to go down and it keeps going down. So the numbers moving to the top haven't really changed since 2004. Great. Thank you for sharing that insight. So Jody, do you have a personal story that you can share with us, perhaps about a hurdle that you've gotten over in becoming a woman in a leadership role? Yeah, I remember this was about uh, maybe seven, eight years ago, something like that. I was getting kind of antsy in my career. I was doing fine, but I wanted to really move and get more responsibility. And I couldn't quite figure out how to do it. And an opportunity came up, the special project came up and I wanted to be asked and you know, no one was asking me. So I just realized that what I had to do was basically go out and tell everybody, hey, I wanna be in this role. I wanna be part of this team. And I told everybody and I told everybody and I told everybody probably far too much, but I ended up being on this team. And as a result of my visibility on that team, I was then a couple of years later asked to be on another one that was even more high visibility. And as a result of that, the outcome was I got a promotion that um, is much better 
was much better for my career. It was exactly what I wanted. It gave me a lot of challenge. So it was really at this point where I realized, oh my God, I have to take responsibility because nobody's going to tap me on the shoulder, even though that's exactly what I wanted. (laughs) Good deal. Well, congratulations on that. And so at this time, we'll move into a question and answer session with Jody. So Jody, if women as capable organizational leaders are able to boost companies' financial performances, why are women still a minority when it comes to executive level positions and what's hindering the addition of women to leadership? It's a great question. Thanks, Holly. <clears throat> well, first, I want to point out that a big part of what we do is to identify and challenge assumptions. So it's like that's our key aspect of our work. But I want to point out why is this even still a question? If we think about it, men have never had to prove that being there will boost financial performance. So this question actually highlights the underlying bias. We assume that men have a right to be there and women don't, so that when women want to join, they need to prove that their worth is additive. And secondly, when we assume this way, we then are comparing women to men in leadership as if the current behaviors are the gold standard, that the way that people lead today is the only right way. And so this sets up women to either act like men or for us to call out their differences as being suboptimal. So for example, a woman leader that I spoke to recently, she said, women take too long to say things, they aren't clear and concise, it's less efficient to work with them. But you know, maybe we should question why is good leadership about being concise with language? Maybe we should look at some of these underlying assumptions. Another example that we can see this illustrated in is who do, who do we promote currently? For example, we promote most organizations promote those who put up their hand, those who toot their own horn, and ask more, kind of like my example in my own personal career. And it's seen as this positive quality almost uniformly across jobs. And it's one of the most highly rewarded leadership characteristics. But is that really what we want from leaders? Is that really the thing that we should be rewarding? I've not seen any research that links raising one's hand with leadership efficacy. And since women tend to promote less, They tend to ask for less, and they tend to keep their heads down at work. They're seen as less ambitious, less committed, less worthy. In other words, less, quote, unquote, like leaders. But this is the case even though women consistently score well in leadership evaluations. For example, in one study across 16 leadership characteristics, women equaled or were evaluated better than men in 15 of those characteristics. So we're in this situation where the system has been developed to reward a particular way of working that has been very narrowly defined. And managers assume that this way is the best way. We don't question this piece. And then we label it meritocracy so that those who don't live up to these standards, these narrowly defined standards, aren't good enough. And so the result is that only people with certain characteristics get through. And then the other piece of this is that managers have to be open to the other big positive impact that diversity brings. Diversity brings an innovative new way of doing things. And this is a huge stumbling block because as much as innovation can have a positive financial impact, it's challenging to make the systematic changes that enable the innovation. In other words, there's a startup cost associated with diversity because people have to get used to working with different approaches. And then it requires the culture, the decision-making processes, the hiring promotion, everything to be reexamined. So businesses get stuck saying that they want more women, but not really doing anything meaningful to make that change happen. So it feels like this huge change, and it is, if we try to do it all at once. So that's why when we do our work with, Orange, with companies at Orange Grove Consulting, we do things in pilots. We measure, measure, measure so that the benefits are visible. And we always tie it to strategy because without the strategic link, it's just another flavor of the month initiative. And the strategic link makes it more likely to succeed. And we have three factors that we look at 
to try to uncover and change the systemic problem. They become change lovers. First, we work to help change women's perspectives related to their own personal assumptions about what it means to be an ideal woman. We help shift men's and managers' assumptions about how to manage women. And then we work with organizations to change the processes, such as how we recruit and promote women, so we can reduce the negative impact of these assumptions. Do personality types, professional goals, and work ethic differ between men and women? And how do these differences keep women out of leadership roles? To the extent that I was talking about before, personality types do impact who's chosen. And extroverts do have an advantage in the U.S. workplace. But this piece is not typically gender-related. Now, professional goals in the face of it seem to keep women out. But in fact, this is riddled also with a lot of unconscious bias. So let's take a look at a key assumption that women have been socialized to, that there's an either-or choice between career and family. And this either-or choice shows up all over the place. Some women are even making choices before they have a family, even a boyfriend, and they limit their career early on. So for example, a woman might choose a particular career path because she believes that she can manage her future unknown family with that path versus another one. But these are just assumptions. So what we need to do is reframe this assumption to be more of one. You know, career and family are both possible, and both are the responsibilities of both parents, and we can figure this out. And so what happens is once we reframe the assumption to be that both career and family are important, we can then spend our energy and our creativity on the how. Single parents, by the way, since they don't have this either-or choice, they spend all their energy on figuring out the how. Now, secondly, there's an assumption that women are not as ambitious as men. Yet statistics suggest also that this isn't the case. BCG just had some recent research that found women are as ambitious as men when they start their career. Their ambition doesn't reduce when they have children, but instead what the key indicator was the organizational culture. So that is, if the organizational culture supports women across the life cycle, women's ambition stays. But if the culture dings women when they have kids or when they don't act according to these guidelines, these leadership guidelines that I was speaking of earlier, ambition reduces. So it all depends on what we assume. And I personally, in the research or in my own experience, have not seen any difference in work ethic. In fact, oftentimes the anecdotal words I hear is that women work harder than men. But what happens is, is that often when men and women, they both will get penalized if they take a formal flex policy, for example. So I have to leave at 3 p.m. to go pick my child every day up from school. So there's this perception that people who have to do that are working less rather than looking at the outcome. So our premise at Orange Grove Consulting is that it's time for organizations to stop looking at the space time and start looking at outcomes. It's time for us to start to measure effectiveness and impact rather than how many hours somebody puts in at what and what hours those are and where those are, are done. So I think that these things, they don't, if we look at just how they differ between men and women, it's just too binary. We need to really peel back and look at a lot of the nuance. All right. Thank you, Jody. So what steps can talented female professionals take to break into top management and become valuable members of executive teams? So the first step that we found in our work is that talented female professionals can really identify the underlying assumptions that they're holding them back, whether that's career versus family assumption that I just mentioned, or the I must be responsible for everything, or another one we see a lot is everything I must do be, is perfect or another one is I'm not supposed to advocate for myself. And so these underlying assumptions are part of our cultural ether. And women, for the most part, have been socialized to them. So they're very internalized. So the first step that women need to think about is 
identifying what those are. Now, some women are lucky and their parents sort of inoculated them against these biases, but others like me were, have been immersed in them. So for example, let's take a female hypertension leader who keeps her head down and focuses on her work. Let's say she doesn't do a great job of internally networking or keeping her manager informed of her impact. She sort of just keeps her head down and gets her work done. What we've seen in our research is that women assume that they're responsible for doing this. They're responsible for getting that work done. And they also get super frustrated then when they see their male colleagues go out to lunch with their manager and schmooze. They also get really frustrated if they see a woman doing it because then the woman that's doing it is breaking those norms as well. But yet it's precisely these informal relationships that enable promotion. Now, the, the cool thing is, is that women do know how to schmooze. They do know how to connect, and we connect really well. They connect, we connect really well with each other personally all the time. So it's not a question of skill. It's a question of permission. That's why the reframing of assumption is so powerful. The reframe gives an individual woman permission to, for example, not do it all. This high-performing woman might say, you know, it's just as important for me to go out to lunch with my colleagues as it is to keep my head down and finish this task. Or she might say, this task actually is not my responsibility. I'm going to give it back to the person who should be owning it. Now, the challenge is that this initially can be kind of scary because it could require some confrontation if we have to give, for example, that responsibility back to somebody or negotiate up front to not take on that responsibility. We also have to advocate for ourselves. So this can be really scary and a lot of women have been conditioned not to be confrontational, quote unquote. So we have to learn to be more assertive, but not aggressive. We also need to think about how important it is to take responsibility for our needs and interests. It's really critical because not just for individual women, but also organizations, we hear so much about collaboration and innovation right now at work. Businesses need this, but these two things require everyone to own their own interests. And collaboration doesn't work if someone acquiesces. That's not collaboration. So women themselves, by identifying their assumptions and reframing, have the opportunity to release themselves from societal constraints, and then they can go forward with their full self. Now, I just want to note that this is what women themselves can do. But remember, we also need the critical changes within the organization itself that I was mentioning earlier. So this is the work that we specialize in, helping women, helping men, and managers and organizations rethink these underlying assumptions and then change how we work as a result. All right, great. And when you talk about change, could you further describe the shift in both mindset and in action that needs to take place for women to confidently transition into leadership and excel at their work? So the mindset shift is really moving from a rule-based, assumption-based, fixed perspective to one that's really open and growth-oriented. And some of this comes from Carol Dweck's work out of Stanford. But let me give you an example. So Bright Horizons did some research that found that most women want to come back to work after having a baby, but they found a lot of resistance. And there were many challenges that stopped them both at home and at work. But imagine this first reframe. Imagine if we said it's okay to come back to work after having a baby. If mothers started saying this out loud to each other, to their bosses, to their managers, to their spouses, I want to work and I want to career. Career matters to me. And if women did this in droves, the reframe would become the norm. 75% of the women we interviewed in our book, The Orange Line, said that they worked because they wanted to work. It fulfilled them. So let's start celebrating that. Let's start saying that and shouting it out to the world so that women having a career, a fulfilling career, is just the status quo. So the transition is going to start when, and I actually do believe it's a when and not an if, 
it'll happen when women decide they're ready to drop these socialized ideals that are holding them back. And then we can all be who we are. And I think our world needs more women leaders. We need the creativity. We need the life experience. We need the balance. We need the perspective. It's time. And then once you have this and we get the buy-in from the top, we need a plan with metrics to actually make these changes. We can change the structure and the processes and get them working. We can create the culture where women are wanted and we can help across all these different areas. And then you have all the pieces to the puzzle, and then you're going to have more women in leadership. So it's an outcome just by shifting our mindset. Great insight. So Jody, thank you so much for spending part of your day with HCI and sharing your knowledge with our audience. Oh, you're welcome. Kind of fun. I really enjoyed this. Thanks a lot, Hallie. We enjoyed having you. And as always, we thank our listeners for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed what you heard. You can find HCI on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, and on the YouTube channel HCI Talent. Once more, don't forget to rate HCI on iTunes. We'd so appreciate your five-star rating. If you'd like to dive deeper into employee engagement, register for HCI's Employee Engagement Conference coming up July 24th through the 26th in San Francisco, California. Click Enroll at the top of the homepage and then click the orange button marked View Conference Schedule to learn more. For Nine to Thrive and all of us here at HCI, thank you for listening.